Good evening, wherever, whenever you may be listening. I'm John Vogel. Welcome into Sick Podcast with Draft Vogel. Justin, out again. He may join us late. We're hoping he does. Hoping he shows up. But uh, pre-Thanksgiving type deal. Good stuff going behind the scenes for him. So he's had to continue work. But joined again by Mr. Mark Jarvis, uh, who's been an absolute stellar fill-in for us. And uh, obviously a professional at what he does. We're happy to have him. All-star season's upon us. We talked about it, the games last week. Got into some of the lower-known players. Uh, wanted to kind of continue on that trend to start to look at some of these guys that are going these games, uh, especially with the impact of the junior, the new junior rule that we talked about on the show last week as well. But first, Shane, back in the studio. Let's hit it. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Sick Podcast. With Draft Vogel. With the first pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. The first pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. With the first pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. The sickest NFL Draft show. It's going to be sick. Sick, sick, sick. And speaking of sick, we have one of the sickest deals available in sports gambling this episode presented by DraftKings. The NFL season is growing strong and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking up new customers with an offer that's even stronger. Bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets and DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October this November. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code SICKSPORTS and new customers can can score $200 instantly. Let's go ahead and bring in Mark Jarvis, uh, CEO of Jarvis Scouting. It would be the best way to put that, head of Jarvis Scouting. Also, uh, Lindy's Magazine Special, um, NFL Draft Special every year, putting in the great work. We talked about all those different things. Thanks for joining us again, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, anytime, dude. Anytime. And it's, a, it, it's like when, when I... I had to replace Matt Ungashek, who went on to go uh, join the Houston staff. He's a recruiting analyst and does a lot of their scouting there now. Um, when we replaced him, it was like, well, Justin was the first person I called because it's like, well, I'd love to talk to Justin every week. And now it's kind of like, well, it's like, well, Mark, you're coming on here. I like talking to you every week. This is a great excuse. So looking at all-star games and stuff and everything else like that, we talked last week about the game circuit and got into some of the players. I wanted to kind of continue on some of the players that are that have accepted invites. I think we got a couple that haven't officially yet that we want to talk about as well, but should. Um, but starting to kind of break down some of these guys that people might not know so much about and use that to get into some more of the points that we usually do on the show, which is break talking about how we look at guys, how we scout, what are the things that we're looking for. And we got a lot of guys that we can start to get into that have already accepted invites the first round going out from the senior bowl, the shrine bowl, all those different games uh, that fit criteria in terms of things that we're looking for. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, most of those guys who do get the senior bowl invite and a lot of the guys that do hit, hit the shrine too, uh, they do meet most of the criteria we're looking for just as far as like NFL caliber guys, just guys that have the requisite size, athleticism, technical ability. Uh, so with the Senior Bowl invites not coming out now, we've got a lot of guys to cover. Before, I, I didn't put this in there, but this thought just popped in my head. Um, this is a 
not to put you on the spot or anything, but with all the data that you collect, it shouldn't be too hard for you to figure out. Have you noticed any measurable variables between the senior and the Shrine Bowl? Because we talked last week about the gap that there is between those two all-star games. But is there is there a gap in you know the body types that are going to these events? Yeah, there was actually, uh, I put out a tweet, I want to say about a week ago, and it was about, we actually mentioned him on the last podcast, I believe, Jawar Jordan, the running back from Louisville. Mm-hmm. So he was five foot ten and 185 pounds versus a lot of these guys that are going to the senior. They're a lot heavier. If you want, I can actually pull up the numbers. I, I posted real quick for that. But I've noticed that the shrine particular is a lot more accepting. I think of guys that are lower weight meet fewer of the typical criteria that you're looking for, for, you know, okay, height, weight, speed. And I wonder if that's more so it's part of their scouting process where they're just more lax on those measurables than the senior bowl is. Or, and I wonder if, if it's not that if it's just the quality of player is a little bit lower and that's kind of causing these measurables to be lower. If you want to go and pull up the numbers real quick. Absolutely. Because that's, uh, that's one thing that that would be a, a good talking point in the aspect of what we expect to see, you know, cause I think when we go to the senior bowls, you and I, are you going to be do- actually, are you doing it this year? Uh, probably not. Okay. Unfortunately. I don't. I know that we were down there the same year. I think it was 2020, right? That's where we. It were. was the COVID year, right before COVID hit. I think. Yep. So 2020. Yeah. So we were both down there for that. Um, because we we remember I was watching. We go in the film room. You're like, I'd never met you before. I don't know if I ever told this story in public. I'd never met you before. I talked to you on like Twitter and stuff, and I didn't even know if you really knew who I was yet or not. And you just walked up and like in this big crowd we're upstairs and like in the second floor where you really are not allowed to be anymore at the senior bowl. But back then, yeah, exactly. Back then everybody was there. That was the hangout spot. You run into the players, you run into trainers, you run into coaches, scouts, all kinds of people. And so I was hanging out up there. I was think I was talking to, uh, it was a Ohio state players trainer. You know, I was wrapping up the conversation anyways, but you come up and you were just like, you want to go watch tape? Cause I had the film room right there. And I'm like, Sure. <laughs> we go in there we spend an hour like watching tape going through and you were like picking my brain and then i started like picking your brain and i was like it was it was fun yeah it's funny because nowadays i've realized how i don't want to say it was wasted time um because i was kind of in uh in the candy store because i'd never had one of those remotes where you had just instant rewind i'm used to using the keyboard <laughs> watching broadcast at that point so i had all 22 or it wasn't all 22 even, it was just the practice footage where you had the one-on-ones and stuff like that, and you could just slow it down, you could do whatever you wanted with that remote, and I'm like, I gotta I gotta take this in and focus on watching this when I should have been trying to network and stuff like that. But, nah, um, <laughs> you were fine. You were fine, dude. So, so the thing I wanted to pull up, um, I thought I had the averages. Uh, I don't. I want to th- say it was around the average weight of a Shrine running back last year. I want to say it was like 202, 203, where a senior bowl was closer to, I think, 208, 209. But last year, the senior bowl had just one back below 210 pounds, and the shrine had four. This is a very consistent theme you'll see year to year since Galco's taken over. I don't know if it was that way before Galco. And that would probably indicate if it was the that way before him, it would give you an indication as far as whether it's Galco doing that and their staff, their focus on, hey, let's focus more on the player than, like in terms of the skills rather than the measurements. Um, but I think it's an interesting topic. I think one that from the shrine standpoint, you're recruiting a lower class of players. No offense. Like you're going to get guys that are more fifth, sixth, seventh. And as a result, you have to have a lot more give as far as what you're willing to accept. And 
you could go for the more, okay, let's look for height, weight, speed guys. Let's look for athletes. Or you could go more towards, let's go for guys that are just really good football players that have been really good in college that, Hey, maybe they're not going to test that well, but you get them on a roster and they're going to be, uh, you know, uh, worthy of making the 53. So I think as far as just recruiting strategy goes and how they view, how the, each of them views the game, I think it's an interesting uh, topic. No. Yeah. Cause that's, when you talk, when I talk to the scouts, you know, after the national championship game this year, uh, this, you know, is in Georgia TCU. That was one of the first things that everybody talked about was the difference in the body types between the Georgia Bulldogs and the Texas Christian Horned Frogs was just the fact that Georgia was so much bigger and so much, they were more physical at, at every position. And so that's why I wanted to kind of bring that up a little bit because, you know, a lot of the guys that we're going to be talking about have accepted invites to the senior bowl already. Um, that's where most of the accepted invites have gone at this point. I think that Sean Bowl's accepted 10 or 11. It's around there at that number right now. The senior bowl is climbing up toward 30 as of current recording time. Um, I wanted to start on the defensive line. Because there's some really interesting guys that have accepted invites here. I want to start with Houston linebacker. He's kind of a rush edge to me, at least. Uh, Nelson Caesar, who accept, has accepted, I believe, his, has he accepted a senior bowl invite or is he just uh, uh, invited? They gave it to him at um, after the, one of the Houston practices, I believe. They gave both him and Patrick Paul one. I don't think it's official. I don't think they posted on the account, but I would yeah. consider it pretty official. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm seeing that. I just pulled that up. I was I was thinking he'd already accepted it for some reason. But yeah, so we got a guy that he's invited. He's most likely going to be there. Um, you've taken a look at him. What were your first impressions? Honestly, I had a hard time with him because I watched him uh, on last year's tape, and I thought he was a pretty average athlete. I thought he was a guy that, while he had some refinement with his pass rush plan. I didn't see the type of uh, burst um, bend, that sort of stuff that I was looking for. And then in the tape this year, I think he looked a lot better. And so it was trying to reconcile what was the difference there. What did I not see last year that I saw this year? Um, and then a couple of guys that really came to my mind uh, last year, I think it was last year, Thomas N. Coombe out of uh, Central Michigan. Did yeah. you see him? Oh, yes. Kind of the similar body type. I think he's uh, uh, he's probably a little bit taller. Um, I think Ankum was a little bit heavier. Another one that came to my mind was uh, Quincy Roche out of Miami a couple years ago. Yeah, I was, a big, and, I was a big Roche guy. And I think that's what's tough with him is he he's too small to be a defensive end, right? I don't know mm -hmm. what the official arm length is. I'm going to guess it's somewhere in the 32s, and that would worry me. He's 6'3", he's 250, somewhere in that ballpark. And my worry was that if he ends up on the lower end athletically – there's only so much of that size that you can do to offset it. Technically, there's only so much you have really physically that you can push up into the early rounds with that type of tool set. But the fact that I think he looked better on this year's tape really uh, puts him up into that mix of being a top, you know, four or five round guy um, through the notes. Thought he was incredibly flexible in his stance. That's one of the first things that stood out is just how low he is in his stance, even as a stand up rusher. Easy knee bend, um, extremely explosive first step. Uh, thought he had some dynamic aspects to his game as far as speed to power. Uh, he's not going to win those, you know, uh, engagements as like a long lever type guy against really long tackles. He's going to struggle, but I think his ability to generate power um, both through, you know, initial contact and driving through guys, really impressive. I worry about how he's going to hold up in run defense. Like I mentioned, he's a little bit small, especially if you want to use him as a defensive end. So I wonder 
how are you going to use him to where he's not going to get kind of mauled and kind of pushed around by these bigger offensive tackles. I didn't uh, see the type of range as a coverage, the defender that I wanted. I don't think he has off ball ability. So he's going to be purely, Hey, we're going to use him as a rotational rusher early on. And then hopefully can develop him from a technical standpoint, from a strength standpoint, I think as a, as a run defender to where you can eventually get him towards starting level. Uh, but I'm not going to lie. I don't want to say he's not my type of guy because you, when you're a guy that has a good first step, who has some bend to him, who has some power and has some technical ability, there's always a place for you as a pass rusher. But just from the frame standpoint, I was a little bit worried about him. Yeah, I think all that's fair. Now, there's two points that I want to get into is the first comp that you bring up for him is Thomas and Coombe, who a very solid run defender in his own right. Um, so that that's a from a body type standpoint, if he's not run defending up to where he should be at this point, that's a little that is concerning. Um, secondly, this is a really good question for topic, you know, because the whole idea that I had with this show when I started it was to get into the really deep nitty gritty scout and go down the rabbit hole um, and talk about different things because everybody talks about their notes and what they see, but what does it mean, you know, to people that are learning, people that are getting into it. And so the first point that pops in my head with what does it mean is when you, when you see a jump like that, where your notes from 2022 to 2023, you know, one year, to the next are different and a good bit different. What does that, what does that mean? What are some of the things that you start doing to go look and see what is it that you missed? Is it just that he's taking a jump? What is it usually for you? Yeah, well, it's tough because I don't have access to the type of information that oftentimes tells you that sort of thing, whether it's developmental, um, whether he's just taking a jump through, you know, you would learn that sort of stuff by talking to people around the program. Hey, right. he's working harder. You know, he's doing a better job in practice or maybe last year he was dealing with an injury and that slowed him down and he was fighting through that. Or some guys, even if they have something off field, like, you know, in their personal life, they play differently. Um, so it's it's hard to know what exactly caused that jump. It may have been I just misevaluated him. It might've been that I just didn't see the type of burst that he had. Um, I think I did three games last year. And so I thought that was a good enough sample size to get a feel for him athletically. So I don't know if it was, I missed on him athletically or if he's changed, but I would say I feel pretty confident in what I've judged athletically this year. And I think that's reflected by the fact that he didn't get the senior bowl invite that he was a guy who, um, as far as media buzz goes, as far as the amount of tension he's getting on like the consensus board, for instance, I think it does reflect that. And one thing I think is interesting, too, is, uh, you know, I, I actually didn't expect him to get the senior bowl invite. Um, I hadn't watched him at that point when I was doing my projections or who to get the senior bowl invite. But Jim had not been talking about him much. There wasn't a whole lot of buzz as far as what I could pick up for how they felt about him. And so I figured, OK, he's going to be more of a shrine level guy. He gets the senior bowl invite, which means, OK, he got really good feedback from teams. I wonder if it was the senior bowl was a little bit lower on him, thought maybe five, six. And then they got feedback from teams. Hey, third, fourth round and make sure we get him in. Yeah, and that's a good point to bring up too because the Senior Bowl is really well tied with NFL franchises and really puts a, pri a premium on the information that they're getting back from other scouting departments across the league. And that might, I think that's a well-known well fact, at least in our industry, but maybe not for the average person, um, that they really do, they have their own scouting department, yes. And it has a ton of NFL experience on it. I think this year they're up to, what, 180 years of experience between everybody on the staff. But they still take a ton of input from all 32 NFL teams because that's who they're ultimately putting the event on for to begin with. You know, and, and that's to me, I think that's the proper um, philosophy that you want to have for an all-star uh, game. The other thing 
a lot of the points that you hit on, I think that I was right there with. Now, I did think that, you know, from a hand, because I always like watching, you know, the technical side of it. I've talked about on the show, like, one of the thing I always like talking edge, telling edge rushers is you're playing chess, you know, and the way that you set up that blocker that you're working against is how you win a lot of times, especially at the next level, because you're not going to come in here with power. You're not going to come in here with speed unless you're just an absolute special player uh, or you're just taking shrooms and Alderall before a game like Max Crosby does. But um, when you look at hit, when you look at Caesar, I think that he needs to be a little bit better with his initial hand placement, um, especially when he initially engages. I think that sometimes he's off. Uh, doesn't get a really good spot to start out fighting with. I think that he can be a good hand fighter, and I've seen him in some reps do that pretty well, set up pretty well, has a little bit of a plan to his game. But overall, I thought his initial placement, when he comes off the line of scrimmage, he doesn't seem to, he seems to struggle a little bit more with. Um, I like this pursuit this year. Uh, I thought that he was pursuing better, especially in the backfield, uh, coming off the edge when he sees the contained defender. And so when you talk about projection to the next level, I keep I feel like I keep saying this, but it's because the three four defense is is pretty much dead. The three four base uh, in the NFL at least. And so when you got a guy that kind of fits that rush edge outside linebacker three four pass rusher type, it's really hard to put him in the league because you have to be very very good at it to get on a team. Um, the one thing the caveat to that has been if you can play pass coverage. And you can drop and do different things like that. We're talking a Hassan Reddick role, fifth man on the on a four man front. When you go five one bear, or you do something like that, uh, which a lot of teams have been beginning to incorporate. Ever really since the Eagles put a Super Bowl run together last year, with you know primarily using that defense, the opportunities that it opens up against a five man protection, or even just getting a tight end matchup is great. Um, I don't know if he fits that yet. So I had him in the fifth sixth round at this point. Um, but I, 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 most of the points that you hit on, I think I was spot. I, I think that's where I was with it too. I did think his motor's really good. And that's, those are some, usually some bonus points for at least coaches. Yeah. I, here's part of my hang up with it too. And this goes to, like you said, you want to ask the questions of behind the evaluation of like what, you know, more rather than just about the player, but overall what you're looking at with, with the process of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so with him, the question I would have is one, how much do you value the technical ability with your hands? Um, like one of the notes I had it has a very wide variety of moves. So how much do you value that diversity of, of, of moves? And then also how much do you value the efficiency of the hands right now versus what they could be? So like for me, I like to look at it from like the standpoint of maybe a guy doesn't have great hands right now, but does he have fast hands in general? Does he have the hand speed to compete in terms of hand fighting? I wondered where you fell on those two topics. No, that's a good point. And I think we had hammered on this when we talked about edge rushers and stuff in, you know, two or three months ago, um, because th- that is a big point. And one of the things that I went into last year, yeah, you know, I think every cycle I have certain questions that I want to try to figure out and get answers from. I consult with a lot of different scouts to get their opinions and see what they kind of do. And that was one of the things is hand hand fighting. If I got a guy that can't use his hands, that doesn't know how to use his hands, how easy is it to teach him when he gets to the professional level to use them? And the most of the feedback that I got from scouts, from coaches, was not hard, not easy. It's not easy at all. Uh, because what you're doing is you're fighting against muscle memory since a lot of times they were in high school. 
sometimes even back to middle school where people just didn't teach them how to get into a hand fight, how to use their hands and set themselves up with positioning. You know, so when you got to see a guy like Trayvon Walker come out of Georgia and you see the way that he positions himself so fluidly in a pass rushing rep and even run, but mostly passing when you're looking at this stuff, his upper and lower body was, is so synced to set each other, to set up the other for success. His uh, lower body is always in the right position to win a rep, you know, as soon as he gets his hands to the right place and vice versa. Uh, and I was, and I think uh, Emery hunt, you probably know Emery from uh, CBS and foot the czar of the playbook. Oh, um, he was one of the guys that I was, that I had talked to that year specifically about that aspect of the game. So with hands to me, if I see a guy that's not using his hands and not, not, you know, while he might have a variety, I, I think that that's a plan, especially when you watch him, rep to rep to rep and see what he's kind of doing and chart what he's doing you can see that they have a plan and it's not just random um and that's what i kind of see with with uh with caesar is that he's doing that he's got a plan the the issue is if he doesn't have his hand placement down right now that might be a lot harder to coat to continue to coach into him um just based off of the feedback that i had gotten over the last year from coaches and everybody else with what they're looking at and why they see that kind of stuff. So I've already got two knocks against him. I've got the one being a tweener. He looks like he's a tweener. And two, I don't think he's as technically refined as he could be. So granted, that's usually a flyer pick, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round, which I think is probably where I'd have him right now. But overall, to me, hand usage, if you're not doing it straight up right now, that's a very difficult aspect of your game. To develop fair fair and i asked that because there is an element of also how long it takes to develop that you know like if you're going to draft this guy and say okay we're going to spend let's say a five on him right yeah if you're not going to have that type of pro ready hands okay how long is it going to take to reach that because assuming he's not going to be able to drop into coverage or he's not the caliber of athlete to be a special teams impact player. What are you really getting out of him at that point? If he's not ready to go with his hands, um, I think I was, I think I was higher on him than you were with the hands. Uh, I actually like the hand placement. Funny enough, um, <laughs> so maybe we watch different games. Maybe it was just the you know beauty in the eye of the whole beholder. But uh, I think that's why I ended up a little bit higher on him. I right now I have him sitting in the fourth. I think okay. personally, if I was with the team, I'd be a little bit more skittish than even fourth. Um, I'd be probably more fifth, sixth. Just because the type of profile that he has, I'd want a guy who's bigger, longer, uh, maybe a little bit more athletic overall. Um, I think average backup to average starter type of player. So I can understand why he got the invite. Um, and I'm curious to see how he does. But I think um, I don't think he's going to be one of those guys who surprises you and like kind of pushes his way up through the senior bowl process and through the uh, um, combine and all that where he's going to get up into that, you know, two or three. I think he's pretty comfortably an early day three guy uh, at the at the earliest right now. All fair. Uh, Braden Fisk. This is a guy I specifically wanted to get to. I'm glad that you'd looked at him. Um, Florida State, one-year starter at Florida State. He was a three-year starter at Western Michigan prior. Uh, Six-year senior, super senior. He's officially accepted his senior bowl invite. Um, this is a guy I really liked going into last year. 
and thought that he he might come out. When he went to the transfer portal, it made sense. Go to a bigger school. Florida State brings him in. He had a lot of offers coming out of Western Michigan. I think he was the consensus number one defensive lineman in the MAC uh, while after the 2022 season. Um, your takeaway from from Braden Fisk. Uh, what do you see when you see when you look at this guy? Very much a try-hard player. Um, just going through my notes, great urgency and energy. Uh, always attacking blo- blocks, always staying active with his hands. Um, I thought he was surprisingly nimble, a- uh, able to get skinny, kind of slip between gaps without getting tangled up. Um, I thought his athleticism was good enough to kind of move around the line. I think you can use him in different ways. Uh, good pad level. I think even though he's a little bit sawed off, he's not necessarily the longest guy. And I think the small wingspan will create issues both as a tackler and in terms of the way he engages blocks. Um, I think the level of effort and the technical prowess that he has will offset some of that. Um, I think the biggest issues I would be concerned with right now are, I think a lot of scouts are going to write him off as being a very physically average guy, just as far Mm -hmm. as the body type, the length, all that sort of stuff. And then also just the run game. I thought, he gave up ground way too easily. He'd get pushed out way too easily. I think he needs to be a little bit more disciplined and a little bit stronger in terms of when he does stack and shed guys. Yeah, there was there was definitely some things that popped, you know, going from 2022, watching Western Michigan in the MAC to watching him at Florida State. You know, you saw some of the things being the same, which rangy, you know, I think that you hit on. Um, he likes he likes to get outside the tackles and go chase plays to the perimeter. Um when he's able to, that is. Now, very much has a brute mentality to me. Uh, wants to wreck the backfield. I thought, again, this is going back to hands. Thought he could use his hands better. Would like to see that. He struggles to win with placement. Because um, if he if he doesn't get on with his initial placement, he's going to really struggle. He does flash some strong power sometimes, I thought. Not as much at Florida State, like you kind of mentioned. Has some decent range. Mentioned that already. Very solid pass rusher. He can at least impact. I like him as a gap shooter is basically where I like him, you know, because of like you mentioned him getting skinny. Uh, I think he'd be a really good fit fit as a three tech on a four man front as a rotational piece, maybe develop into an average starter. Um, Definitely. I think I thought a little bit higher of him watching him at Western Michigan and then seeing him go to, you know, the ACC with, uh, with, with Florida state, while he's been a, he's been a good strong piece for them, I think on that defensive line through their season, uh, those the strength and and length concerns did definitely pop up. What round are you thinking on him? Probably right there in that fifth sixth again. <laughs> I have him in the fifth as an average backup to average starter. I think, yeah, it's just I think the pre draft process is not going to be very kind to him just as far as the mm-hmm. body type. And he might not be the greatest tester, but I think the tape and the try hard aspect to him is going to help get him to at least that fifth round range. You know, you, you talk about the try hard deal. There are certain teams that put a premium on try hard on effort on, you know, hustle. And I think the two teams that pop out the most with that, the pre, that put that put that premium on it more than anybody is Detroit and Pittsburgh. Um, when you look at their defensive lines, he would be, if you, I could see Detroit pulling a fourth round pick on him, 
Name the class. Oh, the way to the how aggressive Detroit is with taking guys they want, they could go like two or three on, <laughs> on like Detroit doesn't care. Detroit will take him if they like him. So and that's a great point too of Detroit, for instance, is, is a team that they tend to like those try hard, you know, all effort type players. And I and, think that's where he fits that mold. Home state player too, you know, like um played at Western Michigan, came out of not far from there, Michigan City, Indiana. Um that's a, that's a that's a coming home for him basically too. That's Detroit likes those types of things too. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson, John Kraminski, players like that that have they've won with effort uh, and carved their roles in their defensive line. That's just he just screams Detroit Lions at me. Honestly, is what it is. So here's here's a question for you. Let's say it's draft night. We're on night two of the draft, and Braden Fisk is a second round pick to Detroit. What's the media backlash? If there oh, is any, there's some. Oh, there's some because there'll Are be there some, a lot of people mad at that point. There'll be some defensive tackles if they if, if that were to happen. You know, there'll be some defensive tackles that are on the board that they're going to sit there and go, well, why, why not him? You know, it's it's just like when the Eagles took Milton Williams in the fourth and didn't take uh, Akeem, Akeem McNeil. Is that his name? The North Carolina State. Aleem McNeil. Aleem McNeil. That's it. They didn't take him. And Eagles fans and Eagles media went nuts. Like, why are you taking this guy? Nobody's heard of out of Louisiana Tech. And he's blossomed into a really great pro. Um, on that, in, you want to know, you know why line. they took him? Let me pull up the numbers real quick. Well, you and can pull this- up the numbers, but I can tell you exactly <laughs> why they took him. Okay, go ahead, and then I'll follow up with the numbers. They took him because they had a couple guys on their board that they could have picked. And Howie Roseman has a habit of consulting with certain people before a pick, especially the later that they get into the draft. And so they knew they wanted a defensive lineman at at that pick once they were on the the clock. And he went to Fletcher Cox and he said, who should we take? And Cox said, Bill Williams. I want to play with him. And that's why they took him. So six foot three, 284, got 31 and a half inch arms. Okay. Smaller guy to start with Mm -hmm. four, six, seven. 34 uh, on the bench, 38.5 vert. <laughs> there you go, right there. That's what, <laughs> Obviously, it's a lot more than that, but no, I think the aspect of how much he really toasted the the pro day. Yeah, um, no, he was he was fantastic. <laughs> and, and I mean, you've seen that athleticism. He's been able to make up with the short arms because a lot of times you don't see teams draft under 32-inch arms on the line. Yeah. Um, but he's made up for it with his athletic ability and just his pure strength sometimes. And that's part of why I'm kind of worried about projecting Fisk any higher. So, like, you look at – I mean, I'll go through my defensive tackles here. A um, couple different guys that fit that mold of, like, Howard Cross from Notre Dame. Have you seen him? Absolutely. Another guy, sub-32. Makai um, Wingo from LSU. I don't know if there's any official measurements out there. I don't know if he's going to be down into 30 once, but I think he's going to be on the shorter side for arm length if he comes out. So you look at those guys, and those guys kind of just dot my, like, round four through round five category. And a big part of that reason is I don't think they're the type of athlete where most of those guys going in the top 50, top 100 defensive tackle, they have a lot of length and they have a lot of athleticism. So if you're lacking one of those two, odds are you're going to be dipping down a little bit. It doesn't mean you're not going to be a good player, but it just means the type of capital that teams are willing to invest in you generally is going to be a little bit more uh, lower end for the draft. I mean, even when you look at the rest of the class too, you're not just talking fourth, fifth round, but you know, you, Potentially Tyler Davis out of Clemson, Brandon Dorless out of Oregon, Tim Smith out of Alabama, Miles Murphy, North Carolina, Keith Randolph, Illinois. Not not to shake off Jerzon Newton. He's probably first-round pick. Um, 
Isaiah Mullins, Wisconsin, Noah Shannon, Iowa, Justin Abogi uh, Bay, however you say his name, out of Alabama. I mean, like, there's a lot of guys that kind of fit that second, third, fourth, could go anywhere in that range, depending on how teams feel about them. It's a deep class. And so a guy like Fisk, unless you really just like him, falls farther down the draft. Yeah. And that's what, like, I know Howard Cross, too, is an example of that, where he hasn't got a senior point. In fact, I would almost guarantee he does. I know Jim really likes him. Um, but it's it's an it's a question of, hey, there's so many defensive tackles in this class, especially if all these underclassmen come out. Yeah. It's just how do you fit those guys within a reasonable amount? Like, you know, you look at the number of players selected. Like, I'll pull it real quick, if you don't mind. So defensive tackles. Yeah. On average, there's two and a half in the first round, two and a half in the second round, four in the third round, two and a half in the fourth round, and two and a half in the fifth round. So on average, over the last like 11, 12 years, in the first five rounds, there's about 14 defensive tackles. So you look down that list, like who's who's going to get pushed down, right? Like who's going to have to go down? You look, look at like a guy like Gabe Hall from Baylor. Like Gabe Hall is a, a physical freak. He's extremely long. You know, got a great frame, but had some questionable tape this year, in my opinion. And with the depth of this class, it's like, is he even going to get drafted? I would think he would. You know, there's just there's so much there to to work with that you kind of expect it. But you start having to kind of place guys into rounds and, you know, you can't have five defensive tackles in the first five in the second five in the third. You got to, you know, narrow it down to what's a realistic, you know, supply and demand aspect to it. So I think. That's what makes it tricky trying to judge where a guy like Fisk goes without knowing here's all the underclassmen that are going to come out and here's how the rest of the defensive tackle rankings stack up. That's it. That's it. Uh, defensive line. So that was that was the, the brunt of our early episode here. Um, wanted to get into some wide receivers too because there's some good ones that have accepted invites that we've been looking at that are kind of in this let me Maybe let me people. throw one more out here before you do that because I know we t- okay. we ran a little long on this. Darius yeah. Robinson, what do you think? We can we can run through that one really quickly, really quick. Okay, let me pull up my notes. See, because <laughs> this is why. Yeah, this is if you all don't know, um, I know that I know Jarvis knows, and Justin would know if he was here too. But there are so many guys that we look at every year, and it gets nuts. Uh, so it's like yeah, I got to pull up the notes to make sure. So. This is this guy's real versatile, capable athlete, has some good solid hand strength, shows some real pop with his punch. Um, liked him being able to potentially rotate across the defensive line. He's not a guy that I've given a very serious look to, but every I came in going, Yeah, he's a defensive tackle looking at the measurable six five, two ninety five. You know, like yeah, that's a defensive tackle. But when you watch him on tape, he's lining up five tech, even seven tech, and you're sitting there going this guy's versatile. He can move around. So for me, dude, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking he's going to go pretty high and here's my reasoning why, right? Last year I thought he was, he played mostly inside. I thought he was, you know, a decent defensive tackle as far as like he's long, he's strong. He's not always the most consistent technically, but they kicked him out and played him more as like a defensive end this year. And you're talking about a guy who's six, five going to be in the two nineties going to run probably four eights. He's got an 85 inch wingspan, like 35 inch arms and you're moving him all over the line. Like, the guy that pops to my mind as far as physical, like, size and versatility. I was going to say last year, Keon White, how Keon White shot up real quick. 
Now they're different players, but I think the type of jump to where I think when we get to that, you know, okay, the everyone's gathered at the senior bowl and talking about this guy and he has the chance to kind of do those one-on-ones. I think he's going to shoot up, not necessarily as high as Keon White did or Jeremiah had him, you know, top 10, but I think he's going to end up in that, you know, okay, can he sneak into the first round? Is he a second round or is he a third round or that sort of thing? So I just want to throw him out there because I think he, he, right now I've seen a lot of people talking about him, like he's going to be this round four, round five, you know, oh, he's just a, you know, defensive tackle and this and that. I think coming into year, that's what I would have expected. But after the year he's had playing as a defensive end a lot too, like I think he's really going to get pushed up. No, that's a great point. I'm glad that you did bring that up because, because that's what popped at me from what I've seen so far. It's not a guy that I've given a very serious look to yet, but you know, just watching Mizzou, and seeing him pop and going, he's playing all over the defensive line. Like, you know, there's some versatility here. And that that's why I said Chris Jones, because that's what Chris Jones is doing at 6'5", 300 pounds. You know, so. Um, wide receivers, Xavier Leggett is a guy that he's got a senior bowl invite. Um, he has no more. I don't think he has any more eligibility left, so he's going to have to come out. But uh, this is a really good guy to start kind of talking about. He hasn't accepted it officially yet. But not a lot of people knew about this guy coming into the into the year. I think that maybe some really deep draft nerds knew about him. I knew that I did because I saw him uh, twenty twenty one May Duke's Mayo Bowl against North Carolina, and absolutely filled in a role. Had to uh, it was between him DK Joiner and uh, Joiner was playing some quarterback, and they were doing some bunch of different things. Jaheim Bell popped in that game, but Leggett was a guy that popped in that game too and really had a, a nice, solid showing where you could see some of the athletic ability. And then he didn't see the field much in 2022. Ends up coming in late in the year, has a huge game again against Notre Dame in that bowl game, and now pops this year full-time starter, especially after uh, Juice Wells goes down who's coming back for a year, by the way, announced that he's officially, he is coming back to South Carolina. He won't be in the draft. Um, Leggett is a guy that really exploded onto the scene and, you know, some first round mocks, which mean absolutely nothing at this point. Can't stress that at this point, but draft analysts are jumping on it. Draft media is jumping on it and putting him in the first round. Uh, is this a guy that warrants that kind of hype yet? Personally, I don't know if he gets up into the first round. I think that's a tall task for any receiver um, just because of the quantity of guys at the position. And this is a looks like a deep class at wide receiver this year, uh, at least in those early rounds. So I don't know if I would be that high on him. Um, I watched him at the end of September and immediately you could see the athleticism on tape, right? Like he really stands out just as far as he's a physical freak. The numbers I have uh, six foot one, 219, that was verified in the spring. Uh, I know he's listed 6'3", 227. He's, he's not, not going to be that, that big. big. No. He's not going to be that big. He looks that big on tape. Like, he looks pretty big on tape, but he's not going to measure that big. Um, but really unique height, weight, speed guy. The estimate I had would be 4'4", four, 3'. Four, but I think the range is probably somewhere in the mid-4'3s to high 4'4s. Four, I think he's going to be comfortably, comfortably in that range to where you say, yeah, he can get deep. No worries about that. Just really impressive body type. I thought the... He's not necessarily the most polished route runner, right? Like he's he's not necessarily always consistent with his footwork. He's not always sure as far as how to release. But I think the balance and the physicality to run through contact and to consistently, I call it route integrity, right? Like how mm-hmm. well when guys put their hands on you, 
how's your timing? How's your ability to continue to, you know, kind of keep that pace that you need to be on. And I think he did a great job of it. The uh, hand-eye coordination catch radius really stood out. Uh, deep threat, the speed that he can get when he really gets going downfield stands out. That's why I know we talked about him a couple weeks ago or a month ago, rather with Gam. And I brought up the uh, comparison of Jalen Hyatt and Hyatt was obviously much, much lighter, but I think they went in a lot of the same ways. They have the same hand-eye coordination uh, type ability. I think the jump ball, the flashes that you see, uh, th those things all match. But a lot of the technical stuff that people were kind of, this is why they weren't really paying any attention to him heading into the year is, hey, he's pretty raw, right? Like he's an athlete and he hadn't gotten to show a lot of that stuff uh, on tape. But he, he certainly has a lot of room to improve as far as the actual uh, technical master of the position. I'll give you a guy that he kind of reminds me of. Because, uh, I mean, I know that you said Hyatt and, and the height weight doesn't quite match that as well. But they do win a lot of the similar ways. But it's, it's Cordell Patterson. You know, when he came out of Tennessee, I was a big Tennessee fan at that point. I wasn't in draft yet. But I watched him at Tennessee a lot. And goes in the first round. I think the Vikings took, a, took him in 28th overall or something like that. Tested absolutely phenomenally. Very similar build and, and very similar raw traits uh, where he just had this pure athletic ability. It stood out on tape. He was a playmaker, and he struggled to find his way early in his NFL career. I don't know if Leggett finds that because he's entering a different NFL, <laughs> you know, where they can take guys like this and say, hey, as long as we can get you the ball, that's all that matters. Uh, the premium at the re receiver position, we talked about this in the receiver episode. You know, I think Gam was on for that one. Um is that you have to be able to catch, uh, run after the catch, and you have to be able to create, be a running back in the open field. And the more ways that you can make guys miss as a runner, uh, whether that's with physicality, contact balance, with a, a good variety of moves, quickness, being able to understand defenders, the more value you're going to have as a receiver. That's something that he does really well. Because um, you mentioned the strength that he has, the contact balance that he has, when he gets into traffic, he's going to break some tackles. He's usually going to make the first defender miss, whether that's just with his balance or whether that's with his speed or pulling off a move. He's got a really good arsenal for that. I don't see the first round. Like, like some of these mocks have him going. I think there's too many receivers that's going to muddy that water and it's going to push him down the board. But I could see day two. I could see mid to late day two uh, where he kind of sneaks in. The other thing that's going to hurt him is his age. You know, we've got in this receiver class specifically, we have a lot of young receivers that are extremely talented. I mean, I'm not even I'm just going off at like traditional Z receivers. Marvin Harrison Jr., Roma Dunze, Xavier Worthy, Malik Neighbors, Amika Abukba, um, Joshua Seif is probably coming out. You haven't looked at this guy, but Jacob Cowing is really good. Malachi Corley, Western Kentucky. That's another guy that's fantastic. Well, it should be at the Senior Bowl. Javon Baker, UCF, under the radar guy, Jalen Polk at Washington. Um, I know that the other Washington receiver, I can't think of his name right now. Um, McMillan. McMillan. He's up there, too. You know, so when you start to look at all these guys that are in that range where they're all special, they're pretty darn special talents, and they can do this as well, and they're younger, this pushes an older guy down the board because how much, how much longer do you have with them? Uh, especially if these guys are more technically refined at this point. Um, so, yeah, I, I think for me, I have a, my projection is going to end up being like 3-4. 
um, some somewhere in that late third to early for fourth. But I could I, I could see him going as early as late day two. I mean, late late second round. I think he could go early too. I think honestly, if he has a absolute freak of freak types of combines and that sort of thing, and, and really does well at the senior bowl, I think you could maybe see into one. Um, and I think part of that is too, you're just talking about such a height, weight, speed freak. Like I said, you know, maybe he's probably four, four, three, right? Yeah. What if he goes out there and he runs four, three, three, what happens yeah. then? Yeah. You know, that, that indie track's gotten fast. There's a lot of guys who run well down there. So it, if he goes out there, let's say he's up in the 225 range, and obviously, you know, he's going to be 6'1". He's not going to be 6'3", but mm-hmm. still, let's say he measures reasonably well, and he goes out there and does that and, like, jumps 40 inches in the vert, and he had this big senior year. I think a lot of people are going to ask those questions of, hey, why didn't you do it already? Like, if you're this freak athlete, why were you not doing this early in your college career? What happened? What changed? I think from our perspective, we can't really answer that. But if someone answered that that question and felt good about it, Again, just that baseline of he's so such a height, weight, speed freak. I think a team could really just say, screw it. We're going to take him high, you know, almost like a DK Mech. I, mean, I know Metcalf fell into two because he had the medical. But as far as like the pure height, weight, speed, even though he's a little bit linear, you know, the physical attributes are just so rare that it's I think it could push him up. I don't think he's going to get there. I think most likely the outcome is going to be two, three. I would have a hard time seeing him get in round four territory unless he struggles throughout the process. Um, in some way, just because so many receivers go in that two, three range. And I think he certainly, as far as the physical attributes fits that bill. Um, but that would be my guess for the range. All fair points. And I mean, that's why I have you on here is cause you're good. You're not going to give me a, you're not going to give me a bad point. I don't think. Well, let me, let me, let me ask you this, right? Like, I don't know if I've talked to you about this before, but I tend to view it like any given evaluation you're on a spectrum, right? Like you could think of a standard distribution where you've got, you know, most people are up here and you have, you know, each end kind of goes out, right? So if you were to, I view it like this, if I evaluate a guy, where do I fall in that distribution, right? Like some guys I'm going to evaluate and I'm going to just like absolutely fall in love. So I'll be on the very far end or I might absolutely hate him, right? And I'm going to be on the other far end. And so my question to you would be with um, with uh, Leggett, where would you fall in that? Are you do you think you're on the back end of that, or do you think you're right in the middle? Based on consensus boards, I'm toward the back end, you know. And but where do you think that difference is, though? Is would be my question from there. It's it's based on is in terms of based on my evaluation, what causes me to drop in there, or yeah, like what what information do you have that deviates from what the consensus? I mean, oh, obviously, no, it's, you can't pull that out of the consensus to know that. But like, why would you have him? Let's say like it's it's the fact that range. it's the fact that he's, he hasn't started games, you know, until this year, okay. and he's as old as he is. Um, now, granted, I saw him pop in those games, right? But you know, we're talking about a fifth, six year senior at this point. Yeah, that is finally starting for the first time, and now looks like he's a freak athlete. Like he very well may be a freak athlete, but why was he not on the field before that? especially with the same coaching staff for for a few years. That's concerning to me. And like you mentioned, that's a question that I may or may not get answered, especially in my capacity. Um, but that's probably why I have him there. It was, it's like, well, I don't want to get too high on him and go, well, I see all this and all these traits and all these different things, but why didn't the, the basic common sense question to me is why didn't he play already? Mm-hmm. You know? So I think that's where I'm at with him is, if I get that answered, I mean, if he goes out there and tests like a freak, you know, like the measurables that you outlined, 
then hell yeah, I'm thinking late first, right? Yeah. Because there's not a lot of guys that, you know, when you start to get into that late first round, especially with some of the trades that we know will come down, the trades that have already happened, there's going to be some luxury picks there where guys are, where they're going to be like, hey, we could use a playmaker. Let's go get this guy, you know, but I'm not, I'm not thinking he's going to project quite like that. Um, I'm thinking that he's probably going to be more in the, probably the, the high four fours, which is, I mean, the low four fours, which is fine. And I don't think he's, I don't know about a 40 inch vert, maybe. Um, but again, why didn't you play? Why didn't you play those, yeah. those, those other, the other years? You, you, it's not like you transferred in and had to work your way up. You've been there. Yeah. It's or, not like there was a, a big backlog of guys that, or you're, you're in the backlog here and all these guys are in front of you. Like they're not pumping out first round guys. Right. Left and right there. Right. Right. So that, that, that's kind of my, that's my question at this point with him. Oh, um, quickly though, thrash, Jamari thrash Louisville. Uh, what are your thoughts before we get into the saucy bit here that I'm sure everybody's clicking on this thing for? I liked him. The, I think the way I would describe him is nifty. So I would say he's a guy that has very diverse release package, um, very fleet of foot. Um, I think the change of direction ability, uh, especially after the catch really stands out, elusive runner. I think the trade suggests he has potential to be a punt returner just in terms of the agility and the burst. Um, and that's something I look for with guys that are in that type of um, size category. So he's six foot, 185. I projected 447. So would like to see him get a little bit faster than that, but it's not a deal breaker by any means. You know, once you get down into four fours, okay, we can work with that. Um, I thought his ability to track the ball, um, and reel it in from different angles was really impressive. He can track it over his shoulder, adjust and catch without having to completely re reorient his body or deal with, um, issues in that regard. Uh, small catch radius was one of my concerns. I don't think he's the type of guy who's going to be a uh, consistent impact player in contested situations. And I think he's very much a finesse player. So he's going to get beat up a little bit once you get physical with him. But I think as far as the, um, the athleticism, uh, particularly in the areas you want to see, like the agility and burst really stands out. And uh, overall, I would say third, fourth round territory. And the grade that I had on him was like average backup to high end average starter. I think that's fair, too, because, I mean, I don't think he's ever he's not ever going to be a one. Right. Yeah. You're I think what you're going to try to use him is in a role like the Eagles used Devontae Smith. You know, where you're sort of that change of pace. He's not as great of a route because, I mean, Devontae's another level of route runner. But he's a very solid route runner. Um, real smooth through his breaks. Solid in the timing type, you know, concepts and stuff. Very explosive. Game-breaking speed. I'm glad that you brought up the ball tracking skills because that's really what makes his deep threat ability to me outside of the speed, the pure speed. But that separates him from other guys as a deep ball threat. Um, and he's consistent with that. I thought even run after catch, I thought he's stronger than he, than he looks and his size would indicate. So those are all good things. And, uh, third, fourth sounds about right. Um, again, so many guys in this class, again, we start talking that maybe he's one of these guys that falls out, especially if he doesn't test as well as he does. I know that he's dealing with some injuries. Uh, he's got a hand injury. He'd been dealing with something in his ankle late in the year. So, I don't know if, if that's something that comes to hurt him in the draft process or not, but I think he's going to go down there and we're going to see some pretty sweet release type routes, you know, not quite tank Dell, but there's going to be highlight clips coming out of, out of, out of mobile because he's officially accepted his invite to the senior bowl. 
Yeah, he's. I think he's going to look down, go down there, especially in those one-on-ones. That type of agility and, and ability to you know get a lot of ground on your releases uh, is going to stand out there. But I'd be really interested in the punt aspect. I can't remember if he has punt return experience or not. I didn't record that in didn't, my notes. Yeah, I didn't. I but, didn't have a note on that either. So I can't. But that would be one thing that if if he didn't have that, I'd be I'd be like, okay, I got to see it. I got to you know. If I'm going to project him into that third, fourth round territory, I got to know everything that he can bring um, just on the off chance of, okay, let's say we have a guy in front of him and, you know, we don't have room in our, you know, basically our, you know, our starting receivers. What are we going to do with him? Is he just going to kind of fill back the roster, not provide any value, or can we use him in some capacity on special teams? So. Absolutely fair. Um, quarterbacks. We we spend a lot of time on the show talking about quarterbacks, and it's because it's it's such a juicy topic, Jarvis. You know, it's like, especially this class, it's been so up and down. I think at the beginning of the year, Gam and I were talking a lot about Spencer Rattler. Uh, as the season's gone on, we talked about Knicks. We talked about Penix. We've talked about uh, here recently. It's been you know we've, some Ewers popped up early in the year too. I'm trying to think of who it's been recently. Jaden Daniels. Um, there's been two accepted invites officially to the senior bowl and that's Michael Pratt and that's Spencer Rattler. Um, we know that Michael Penix and Jaden Daniels have both been invited, uh, pending their decisions. I would, I'd be shocked if Penix doesn't go. Um, I wouldn't be as shocked if Daniels didn't, especially with the way he's been wrapping up his season, kind of putting, you know, Lamar Jackson-ish Heisman numbers up at the end of the year uh, in some big games. Now, I did want to talk about Rattler versus Penix because these are two guys that everybody's kind of been going up and down. I think when you look at the consensus boards over the season, they've fluctuated past each other, gone back down. It's been a roller coaster ride for both of them this year. And so I know that you haven't given a full look at Rattler, um, but you said you could talk about him, and I've got a full report on Rattler, so I can fill in anything as necessary. Um, Spencer Rattler versus Michael Penix, go. <laughs> you go ahead and do it because you're the one who's got the full report on him. Okay, I'm talking okay. about Rattler from 2022. He might look a little bit different. I thought he looked good from what I saw watching um, Leggett, but. I saw I saw I saw strides this year. There were a few things that I saw strides in. So first off, um, the the scheme adjustment to South Carolina hurt him initially in 2022. Uh, so there were certain things that we saw him doing at Oklahoma, specifically the touch ball that he would throw with. He had a really nice touch ball at Oklahoma. Um, was pretty darn accurate at Oklahoma for the most part. Now it's also very spread out. We talked about this Lincoln Riley scheme on here. Not a fan of it. Um, I was at the time. Right, because I don't think anybody figured out how to really impact it or beat it. I think that's been kind of figured out at this point. And until he starts to bring in more wrinkles, we're going to see these seven, five, six, and six type seasons out of him. Um, which he, that means offseason work is going to be huge. But for Rattler, the strides this year—it's all been mental. It's all been composure. It's all been just the little little things that we talk about. I thought his platforms looked a lot better, more consistent this year. He looks more comfortable in that offense. He's making faster decisions. Um, the touch ball looks awesome. He made some really great throws throughout this season. Now, once they played Tennessee, things kind of took a turn for the team in general. Uh, Juice Wells goes down. Antoine Wells 
he's he goes out with an injury, misses most of the year. They're down to Leggett. Uh, they don't have their their playmaker Jaheen Bell back. They're lost their running back Marshawn Lynch or Marshawn Lloyd, excuse me, to USC. So there were a lot of pieces that they were trying to figure out once they got into the brunt of their SEC schedule, how they were going to replace. So from a schematic standpoint, it didn't look the same on the results, on the results side of it. But from a schematic standpoint, Rattler I thought played really well through everything, uh, moves well in the pocket. Starting to show more composure, really stepped up in you know being able to step into throws, take hits as he's delivering it, and deliver a good ball through it. Um, overall, super athletic. I mean, by all standards, and you know, excellent as an athlete gets outside the pocket really well. Has he you know enough strength and speed to be effective as running down the field as a scrambler? I might even design some quarterback runs for him even though he's a little bit on the smaller side. Um, he's been awesome, you know, I thought. I would ask, what, you said he's a super athlete, right? What do, you, what do you mean by that? What type of caliber are we talking compared okay, to? Okay, we're, we're not talking Lamar Jackson, but we're talking, I'm saying excellent in the sense of when you compare, when you stack him up against the other 100 quarterbacks in the NFL, he's going to be top 10, top 15 as an athlete. You think he's that, you think he's that good of an athlete? Yeah. As far as like is a like running make you miss like a Jaden Daniels type of with the ball in his hands or is just like a scrambler like what do you? He has some strength that he can run with because you see him run through some guys that he has no business running through. Um, he's got a real sneaky juke that he'll pull off too, especially you know when he, once he starts to get down the field if he feels like he needs a yardage. Um. When he's in those situations where he's got to be gritty, I think he's taken a step forward this year. Um, so as an athlete, I just thought that his ability to get outside the pocket, first off, from from that aspect and being able to still be a passer runner on the on the move, very effective. And then once he gets downfield, he's very sneaky about it, but he's good. He's really good. Uh, so excellent overall in that aspect of just general athletic ability, if that makes sense. You're almost making me think of like the way you're describing him as a runner makes me think of Malik Willis. How how com- uh, comparable is that? Yeah, that's probably because because Willis obviously wasn't like a you know four fours you know run around all He's, over on you, but yeah, he was just he, like yeah. four six run through you, just good yeah. good athlete overall. Yeah, that's that's where yeah that's that's fair. That'd be a good that'd be a good comparable on the athletic ability at least. Malik's got a cannon. I think this Rattler's got a pretty good arm. I don't know if it's up there with Malik. Um, but when you compare him to, to Penix, this year, I just have not seen the consistency from Penix I wanted to see, uh, especially through pressure. Granted, there's been a few throws that he's made you know, through pressure this year that have looked really good. But the other 95% of them have been awful. Uh, if you can get him rattled, if you can get him off his platform, he's not delivering a good throw. And I think that's because his release is a little bit extended. Um, so that's one thing I liked about Rattler. I thought though I did have this, here's a note that I had on his release. It's very quick, but his hands are small. He loses grip on the ball. Um, you're not going to have that issue with Penix. Penix's hands are absolute monsters. They look like alien hands when you watch him, especially when he goes up with the W's and they go in the fourth quarter. You know, and he puts all he puts the four fingers up. 
and does the W's, you're like, that just doesn't look right. They're so big. They're so long. You know, like his fingers are huge. Um, so you're not going to have that issue with his hand, with, with Penix's hands. But when you get him off platform, because his release motion takes him a little bit longer to go through, he's not comfortable throwing if he doesn't have a solid base. And that's one thing that they've struggled with a lot, getting him a good, getting a good ball. His deep ball accuracy has taken a step forward this year, but it's still not great. Um, he'll miss routinely on some deep balls, even with time that he just shouldn't be. Uh, by five yards, by 10 yards, underthrowing, overthrowing. It's all over the place down the field. Um, so to me, I'm not sure either one of these guys are is my starting quarterback. I'm thinking long-term backups with both of them, if I'm being honest. Rattler is probably a spot starter that can come in here and play a few starts. He might actually get a few seasons where he plays throughout his career. Uh, kind of like a Jacoby Brissett type career where he's just he's stuck around. He's been good enough where in a pinch, you're going to start him for a year if you have to and bring in another quarterback and do whichever you have to do. I think that's where Rattler is. Penix, I don't know. I don't, I'm not as comfortable with him in that situation just because I haven't seen the ability to maneuver the pocket like I've seen from Rattler, and I haven't seen the composure through pressure like I've seen from Rattler. I mean, look at the first three games Rattler played If you when you go back and you look at it. Uh, two of the first three games, they played North Carolina. He's under duress, takes nine sacks, doesn't have a turnover. Georgia, that first half he played against Georgia, under duress the entire game, through the rain, doesn't have a turnover. Throws two interceptions, I think, in the fourth quarter. As they're, you know, Now he starts taking real chances that he probably shouldn't be because uh, there are two touchdowns behind. But when you look at those two games, those, the six quarters, you know, the four that he played against North Carolina and the first half of the Georgia game tells you a lot about where he is with his composure, how comfortable he is working through pressure. I don't see that at all from Penix. So as far as what I saw from Rather in 2022, um, the way you're describing him, he definitely sounds like a different guy as far as the ability to handle pressure. That was my biggest concern with him was I thought he just, when shit started hitting the fan, he really struggled. You know, he, he just could not find ways to extend plays. He could not find ways to deliver passes with any consistency to where his placement was reliable. And so even though he did have a lot of arm talent, that was what worried me about rather when I watched him last year. So having not watched him this year, it's hard to know where I'm going to fall on that. But the reason I was kind of picking at you about the athleticism is I saw a way different athlete on tape. And this is obviously, you know, going back to last year's tape, but I saw a guy who's probably going to be four sevens who I thought he had decent uh, maneuverability. I thought he could get around the pocket. Okay. I thought he could extend plays. If he got forced out of the pocket, he could, you know, kind of keep himself alive and, and, and get away from some defensive linemen uh, while being able to extend to make a throw. But I don't think he's running away from anyone. I don't think he's that like top 15 in the NFL type of athlete at quarterback. Um, I don't want to say he's almost like Mahomes level because Mahomes has this like freakish ability to uh, elude guys and, and make you miss and just find ways to extend plays. He's not on that level. But I think he's, as far as the overall athleticism, if you were to get him out in space, he's maybe a cut or two below that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But um, certainly I definitely like the arm. Um, and I thought there was a lot of tools to be worked with there. And so it's just a matter of where I fall on this year's tape. With Penix, now I would almost guarantee I'm going to end up, by the end of the process, this is, this is the tough part, right, is Penix has such a wide range of what could happen. Because there are some people that just – 
I don't know if it's a media thing. I don't know if teams feel the same way, but like, it just seems like you either love him or you hate him. Um, for me personally, I tried to split the difference um, as far as projecting where he's going to go. So I'm in the fourth round. I thought the deep ball touch had some incredible flat flashes. It's really weird how good he is at the deep ball relative to other areas of the field. Like normally it's, you know, if you're good in the short game, then you might struggle in the deep. It's usually not the other way around where he's like this monster deep ball throw. And then you struggle uh, in the short game. Thought he had really good velocity. Arm talent really pops. I think he's a smart decision maker. He's not taking unnecessary risk. Um, The anticipation I thought was decent, but he is just so, I don't even know if inconsistent is the right word. So going through the weaknesses here, I have he's, his footwork is very chaotic, very choppy, long and awkward setup, very slow release, and a very elongated release. I thought that hurt his ability to adjust his arm slot and deal with pressure, um, whether it's you know just adjusting to something in front of him at the line of scrimmage or if he scrambles and he has to kind of arc the throw around a guy chasing him. Um, I just thought he had a really hard time maintaining placement when he did that. Uh, the upper body and, and the feet are always misaligned. I think that leads to some really, really bad whiffs where he sails the ball or he darts it. Um, I worry about, okay, how much of this production is driven by going to the system and having these standout receivers? Because you look back to Indiana and he's throwing 57% and he's, you know, I got like five TDs to nine INTs. So it was, <laughs> that's another area of concern. And then I don't, I don't think he's that good of an athlete. I think his creativity is pretty limited. He's a pure pocket passer. So like, what does that leave you with at that point? You know, I think he's, when everything is aligned, I think he's decently accurate and you love the arm talent and the decision-making, but I just, there's so many red flags as far as the way he functions when things go wrong. And when he has to make plays outside of structure that is just a, a nightmare evaluation for me. Uh, and then also he has the medical, right? Like the medical could get him rejected by plenty of teams. Yeah. So you're seeing him in these first round mocks and it's like, <clears throat> how many of these teams are even going to be okay with the medical? And if you're okay with the medical, okay. How many of your coaches are going to be okay with taking a guy who has these mechanics and these, you know, I don't think you're going to fix that. I don't think you can change his throwing motion and clean him up in a way to where it's going to be, you know, something that's, you know, nice and pretty and what you want to see. I think he is what he is as far as how he throws the ball. Is that a bad thing? Like not necessarily when everything goes right, it's okay. But there's just, this is going to sound really bad because you always want to put words to, to the intuitions you have. And with me, I don't have much to say on it other than like, I see him and I, there's just red flags galore as far as the the way he plays the position as far as the mechanics and the way he just delivers um, both under pressure and uh, even just mechanically, even when he's not pressured, it's so long and delayed as a release. You know what it's kind of like is I think Gore, uh, not Gore's uh, Gam said this on the, on a, on an episode a few weeks ago when we had brought him up briefly, as he said, Kirk cousins. (laughs) Whereas when everything is really good, and you got it all set. He can sit there and he's got time to make the decision. He's going to make the throw. But when, when everything starts to break down and uh, it's all chaos, very street, very inconsistent, not able to get through it. It's interesting. Cause I know like we were going to talk about Michael Pratt too. And I actually have him comp to Kirk cousins. I think he's a little bit better, as an <laughs> but, but you look at a guy like Pratt and his release is quick. It's tight. It's consistent. And with Penix, even if you're not putting pressure on him, the release is so elongated, it feels like it's throwing in some variance to every single throw. Yes. Um, and as a result, 
you have those flashy touch throws where it's like, okay, this guy does have some natural accuracy to him, but it's just, you never know what you're going to get. You know, it's, it's a surprise every time he he throws as far as like what the outcome is going to be in terms of the placement, in terms of the timing. And I think when you start putting him in a situation where right now he's facing pac 12 defenses, he's got some really good receivers that elongated throwing motion and the slow release and all that, when you throw him into the NFL, what's that going to do? Is he going to make up for it with anticipation and arm talent? Because he can drive it. I mean, he can drive it hard. But is that not going to be enough to offset how long that motion is and how uh, overall his setup is is kind of delaying some of the throws he makes? Yeah, because it's kind of like Joe Burrow. When you watch him, that's not a guy that has arm. You know, he, he, it's it's by NFL standards, it's probably like a subpar bottom part of the lake in terms of arm strength. Yeah, it's pretty average. Yeah. Average is even, <laughs> you know, is even giving him some, but he makes up with it, with his anticipation and his ability to read the field and very Peyton Manning esque in that sense where he's just so far ahead on the game and the game plan and understanding what's going on in front of him, where he's able to anticipate these crazy throws and make them and make good con- decisions consistently. You don't see that from from Penix because everything that they're doing in Washington is get the ball down the field use the arm talent go vertical and push it down there see what happens you know and and that scares me too you know from a projection standpoint because it's what am I supposed to do with the scheme you know I can't make you do this in the NFL are you kidding me we can't run we can't it's the same issue with Caleb Williams you know it's I can't evaluate you if you're throwing four verts and when it when the play breaks down you get outside the pocket you're throwing and the difference is Penix is not going to get outside the pocket. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I, I don't know what to think of him at this point where it's assuming he goes to the to Mobile. He's got the senior bowl invite. Hasn't, he's got both of them. He's got that and the shrine. Um, assuming that he goes to the senior bowl. That's one thing I'm going to be looking at is, okay, what are we working on? What's the, what's our off season program look like? What What's the focus? Because, if it's cleaning up mechanics and trying to get my feet in line and I'm seeing a jump in that, hey, Josh Allen did the same exact thing. And look where he is in his career right now. Don't, look at, don't pay attention to the media stuff because they're all <laughs> worried about the interceptions. It's like the guy's leading the NFL in touchdowns too. Like, come on. And on top of what he's rushing. Um, but Allen was one of those guys when I was watching the process where he, his feet were such a mess at Wyoming and then he goes to the com- the senior bowl and they look a little better and he goes to combine now i guess he didn't do- did he go to senior bowl i can't yeah. remember yeah yeah he goes there and they look better combine they looks better then the pro day whew, they were they were clean and it was like he did all this he put all this work in in 4 months and got his feet looking like that i'm sold i'm sold yeah it's so there's a few different things here i'd want to touch on number 1 is i think it largely depends on just how comfortable you feel with projecting change right like what can you mm-hmm. project to change about this guy and for me i think you can clean up the footwork but i don't know if you can change the way a guy just naturally throws the ball yeah that's what i've been told um and that's uh, as far as what i've seen i think um you know over the years that's it's reflected by player outcomes mm-hmm. and so i look at a guy like um for instance tyree jackson a few years ago tyree jackson had a cannon and he had a slower release than Penix. He's probably about the same area arm talent wise and Penix has better accuracy, but the same slow winding release led to so many problems with Jackson. I wonder if Penix 
run into those same problems. And so I view the, it, dif the difference between those two, too, is Jackson gets moved to tight end, right? Yeah. You ain't doing with that, Penix. No, he's not Penix. that big. No he's not that big. <laughs> but I view it like, how do you get the ball there, right? There's different ways. So some guys, you can do it with having a very, very quick release. And having that very, very quick release kind of gives you, it speeds up your process, right? It's time from you starting your, when you're going to throw that ball to when you the ball arrives, right? So you can do it through a quicker release. You can do it through arm talent, the ability to drive the ball and get it there, you know, just through the air. And you can also do it with anticipation. So being able to get the ball out early, right? Those are, I think, are the three ways that you can get the ball where it needs to go faster. And so when I look at a guy and I see, okay, if he's got, you know, a great arm, he's got a great anticipation, he's got a quick release. Okay, well, now we're really cooking. <laughs> but if you run into a guy where it's, okay, the anticipation's there and the arm talent's good, but the release is so slow, okay, now I'm really starting to get nervous. Now, thankfully, Penix has a good arm because if he had a bad arm, like if he had a middle of the pack arm, I think we won't would be, be talking really, about him right now. No, it would be ugly because the ball just would not get there, you know? Um, and so that, and then also I just wonder, like, you know, it goes back to the volatility of his play where if you were, let's take Burrow as an example, right. Um, or even like a guy like Williams, they have control, even though they do some like Williams, for instance, does some funky stuff with his release. He can change his arm angles. He can throw from different platforms, but he always has control over where that ball goes. Same thing with Burrow. Burrow, no matter what situation you put him in, he's going to have control with where that ball goes. He has that natural feel for placing it from all different sorts of angles. I think Penix, when you get him outside of structure, when you get him under pressure, and when you force him to adjust and make you know those types of quick adjustments that need, that need to be made as a pro, I think he loses that control. I think it gets very, very high variance. And I think even when he is protected, even when he does have time, the mechanics right now are causing him to be inconsistent. Right. I think you can fix the footwork and you can clean that up. And I think that's going to look good throughout the process with, okay, he's throwing against air, but I just don't think you can fix that. If he naturally just does not have that when things fall apart, because when things fall apart, the guy's going to go to what he's, you know, naturally built for how he naturally throws the ball in my opinion. And I think that's going to be reflected with, Hey, you put pressure on him. He starts struggling. Absolutely. That's a good point. Uh, so to wrap this thing up, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna get the offensive lineman. That might be a, a future episode deal. Um, but to get to touch on Michael Pratt. So if we can't do Rattler versus Penix for you, what about Penix versus Pratt? Pratt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have, that... the, I have them both in the fourth, uh, right now, as far as where I'm projecting. And that's, Part of that is driven up by how much hype Penix has gotten. I mean, I can't. He's got a Super Bowl invite. He's getting mocked in the first round. I can't go and say, yeah, he's he's going to go in the sixth or seventh. You know, barring the idea that it's going to be medical. Um, personally, though, like no doubt for me, Pratt all day. Okay, I can so explain further if you want. Yeah, let's 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 let's. Well, the last point that we'll do is we'll talk about Pratt here. I've got a lot of notes on him. I've got a pretty good write up on him. So, but go ahead. Okay. Easy throwing stroke, good quickness to it. Uh, instant setup and release. Um, just very efficient with his overall process mechanically. Uh, I think he's an adequate athlete. I don't think it's anything out of the ordinary, but he can extend plays with his legs. Mm -hmm. Quick processor, very efficient in just terms of his footwork um, on play action. I thought the ability to layer passes with touch really stood out. Um, great at feeling pressure and making sure he's not taking hits. Uh, just has a natural ability to move around in the pocket. And I think he's very good. He doesn't compound mistakes. 
you know, if he makes a mistake as far as like misplacing a pass or there's a turnover, it does, it's not one of those things where it keeps building on it. He starts panicking and tries to make up for it necessarily. He's just very consistent from snap to snap, from drive to drive. I think uh, very average athlete by NFL standards. I think the overall physical ability is what's, what's the hangup. It's really just how high can you get him as far as like his, his ceiling. Uh, I don't think he's going to make plays outside of structure. I think passes to the far side of the field are going to kind of dip and die out a very average arm. Um, and I think, um, especially with the deep ball, there's some, some wobbles there that worried me where if he does try to attack deep, I think there's going to be a lot more turnovers. So if you get behind, okay, how is he going to be able to handle that? Um, are you going to struggle with those? Like, okay, we need a big play. What's going to happen. And so that's kind of where I, where I saw Kirk cousins is a guy who's very, very efficient, very, very good inside of the structure of the offense, but not a guy who's necessarily physically talented. But I think has uh, at worst, I think he's going to be probably an average backup and on the higher end, I think he's going to be a decent starter. Yeah, that's and and I'm glad you brought up the touch ball because it's beautiful. <laughs> he throws a beautiful touch ball. Um, typically pretty accurate, like you said. I think he struggles down the field, you know, with consistency. Uh, pocket movement's good. Now the one thing too is, you know, Pratt pops up on my radar. I think at the beginning was it. At the beginning of 2021 season against Oklahoma, where he came out and he balled, and that's one of the things about him that you know, all the reports are the leader, his leadership and his intangibles are off the charts. I mean, just old school, go out there gamer leader, and there's always a role for that in the NFL, is what I found over the last few years of evaluating, especially at the quarterback position. If you're just a gamer. You're gonna you're gonna carve yourself a role, and not to get off track here or anything, but like that's why I mentioned somebody like Brady Cook. You know, he's not a guy that probably coming out this year out of Mizzou, but next year we're gonna be having these same types of conversations about him because he's just a gamer. He's got some ability. He's got some different things that are intriguing as a, as a prospect, but he's a gamer. He's a leader. At the end of the day, that's what he does, and there's always a role for that. So with Pratt, like, I, I don't know if he's ever a starter. You know, I think that more of a backup is where I've got him. That's probably why I've, I, I, I've been flirting with him around, you know, like fifth in the quarterback rankings because there's stuff to like there. Like you said, he's not a great athlete. But, yeah, no, I would li- I, I like him over Penix uh, at this point. Absolutely. And it's just because I know what I'm getting out of him. Yeah. Penix, I don't know yet. So, but that's why we have the process, Jarvis. We have the process <laughs> well, to. I wonder almost too if that's going to end up with Penix being higher, right? Like, even though you might have more teams grade Pratt higher, you might end up with Penix being drafted earlier just because on the very far end of it, the people who really love him, I think are going to be looking more in that maybe two or three range because arm talent and that sort of stuff. But it's just. It's hard to anticipate, okay, someone who really loves him going to go up there and get him, uh, especially with all the, you know, the medical red flags that are going to be there and that sort of thing. But no, I, dare, I certainly would also lean, lean Pratt over Penix just, just as far as I, I don't want to say quarterback's a position where consistency is always a necessity because you can win with guys who are a little bit more high variance. Um, Brett but Favre, it's one Josh where, Allen. yeah, and that's the thing is like, I've got to feel like the, the, you know, the, risk is worth the reward, right? Like I got to feel like, okay, if I'm going to take that type of guy, there's got to be some payoff to that where I'm getting like extreme, extreme uh, success on the one end. 
rather than, okay, I'll live with the lumps as long as, you know, he's going to make the freak plays. Um, and I feel like with Pratt, he doesn't have that, but it's also not a situation where like with Penix, where I feel like it's more on the lower end where I'm going to get a lot more of the risk without as much of the reward. Absolutely. Yep. That's- I got one bomb I want to drop, by the way, and if we're talking quarterbacks, and I can save it for next week if you want. No, no, uh, no let's, go ahead. let's go ahead. Let's go ahead. Drop it. Drop it. What's I, the bomb? I got Jane Daniels over Drake May. <gasps> Outright. Oh! <laughs> Outright. It's it's oh! close. <laughs> it's close, <laughs> but I, I would take Jaden Daniels. Uh, I think more, more people are going to like Drake May just because I think he's a little bit more consistent as a passer right now. But I, I'll always take a guy who's got the more athleticism, who I think does a little bit better when you put pressure on him, uh, who can scramble, that sort of thing. So I think that's going to be a fiery one. I, I figured I might drop that one so Gam can, you know, fire up for uh, next Stew week. on it. Stew on it a little bit. Let it brew for a while. No, I that's... That's not even a question I'd asked myself yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know where, but well, yes, no. I was, I mean, I was at practice today talking with some of the coaches. You know, as our positions weren't going through stuff, and uh, that's one one thing that I was kind of talking about. Where it's like, well, we've been talking about Caleb Williams going number one and Drake May, but I mean, I mean, this Jaden Daniels guy is kind of. <laughs> Especially with the success that Lamar Jackson's seen at this level, when you got a guy that's got a similar skill set, but already more polished as a passer than he was when Lamar came out. How where where does that fall in the NFL rankings currently? You know, that's a because I think somebody asked me who uh, who I thought would go first overall, and I just said I don't know who's picking yet. I can't tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I've been doing this long enough, I can't answer that question until I know who's picking. Um, then I got a better idea, but right now it's not set. It's not set. Who's going number one. Yeah. And that's one thing I think uh, Gam's going to stew on that so hard. Um, <laughs> but I think with, with Daniels in particular, there's just, as far as what he can do athletically, as far as what he can do out of structure, I just think that adds so much value to what you can do offensively. Is he Lamar Jackson? No, I don't think he's el- as elusive. I don't think he's that same high end level speed, but I think a lot of the same dynamic qualities that you can add to your offense through that put him closer to that. And well, again, this well, is- let's 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 clarify this real quick. Are you you don't think he's the same type of athlete as he is now or when he came out? Because I think he's I think the injuries we've seen him is is he's not the same athlete he was when he's at Louisville. I haven't seen enough of Lamar in the past year or so to tell you if I feel like that's comparable. Okay. I could wow, I could bring okay. it up when we when we talk talk next week presumably when Gam comes back we can discuss that um, but I would say he's a, a a cut down below where Lamar was as a prospect take that for what you will I think he's gonna be like you know a, a high four fours low four fives guy and okay. I think what really stood out to me is I think a lot of the chunk yardage right like you look at a game like Alabama he's running away from their linebackers he's pulling away from like even safeties and so. When you get him outside of structure and you get him, you know, Tory can actually run. I think just what he adds in terms of that element is just so unique compared to even like a Williams or May. Um, and I think the passing, I don't think it's that far of a drop off. He certainly has less touch. He's not as accurate as May. Um, and I think he's certainly not the same type of arm talent as Caleb. But I think just the ability to consistently move the chains, that's number one, what I'm looking for. And I think he certainly provides that. So, Man, that is a bomb. We had <laughs> 
that's a discussion for next week. But uh, going to go ahead and wrap this thing up because we're at an hour 23 at the moment. So got to make sure that Shane gets back home to finish his, his dinner. And uh, I could use some dinner too, actually, come think of it. But uh, thank you all for tuning in. Mark, again, can't thank you enough for filling in the last couple of weeks. And I'm starting to think we need to make you permanent on here. I might get booed off after that Jane Daniels comment. No, you might not want me to no, be perfect. <laughs> no, no. So look, we conversation, having conversations. <laughs> that that's the idea. Having conversation, having the conversations that nobody else will let you have on Twitter. That's what we do on the Sick Podcast. Um, but again, thank you to Sick Podcast. Uh, thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to all the sponsors. Everybody else that gets involved with the Sick Podcast Network. Uh, lots of great things coming up there. Guys, uh, go ahead, hit that, subscribe, smash it, share this thing around, get it out there. We're on all the podcast platforms that you want to listen on to. Let's make sure that you do that. Back at it next week for Mark Jarvis. I'm John Vogel. This is The Sick Podcast with Draft Vogel. And Shane, let's get out of here. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow The Sick Podcast with Draft Vogel on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.